And we want to thank you again for being here with us today. Uh, My name is Paul Mumon, the lead pastor at Genesis. If we've never had the chance to meet before, good to see you and all of those uh, of you online as well. I have the privilege of preaching at both of our campuses, our Noblesville and Carmel campus going back and forth. And so it's always great to be here and again, to be able to worship uh, with you today. Um, I wonder if you know this guy. And uh, don't be ashamed if you don't, because when I first saw his picture, I didn't know him and uh, didn't know his story either uh, until I was looking at it just this past week. His name's Harry Winston. He, uh, he became famous in the 50s and the 60s, known as the King of Jewelry in New York City. And uh, he was known for that because of his incredible diamond collection. And he did some fun, crazy things. Like in 1958, he donated what's known today as the Hope Diamond, pictured here, uh, to the Museum of Natural history, the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. The Hope Diamond, get this, is 45 and a half carats, all right, worth uh, something like 300 plus million dollars, which is just a tad bit larger than the uh, little small diamond I bought for uh, my wife when we got engaged uh, for, for our wedding. And I, I think when we think about a diamond like that, when you think about a price tag like that, we'd all think that's pretty crazy money that to think that somebody could actually own it and then get this donate it, all right? But, but that's not the most fascinating part of the story because do you know that when Harry Winston was ready to donate this diamond to the Smithsonian, no joke here, he sent it through the mail. He did this. He sent it through the USPS. This is the actual envelope. Uh, you can see it if you go to the Smithsonian today. Uh, again, he sent this 45 and a half carat, $300 million diamond, put it in this envelope, bought some stamps, and handed it over to the mailman with instructions to carry it to Washington, D.C. I don't mail gift cards anymore, all right? I don't even take the chance of doing something like that. Imagine sending this diamond. Somebody interviewed the mailman. Uh, after the uh, the mission and talked about the whole thing. And evidently he knew something of the contents of the envelope, but the mailman talked about his fear and also the responsibility of being trusted with something so valuable for such an important task. Can you imagine being trusted with an enormous res- assignment and responsibility. I think you kind of know where this point is going. If you call yourself a Christian, uh, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and hope in the Lord and you've been on the receiving end of his eternal work in your life, like Winston's mailman, you also have been entrusted with an important assignment and responsibility. Jesus Christ has put a gift in you and in my life, a message that is much more valuable than any diamond. Sure, the Hope Diamond is worth 300 plus million dollars, but in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing more than a shiny rock. And yet as followers of Jesus, as a church family, we have been entrusted and assigned a task, a message that leads to eternal life. It's why we say as a church that our mission is helping people find their way back to God. And that's what these last few weeks have been for us, all right, in this series that we've been calling Reset. It's just a reminder of the things that are important to us, the things that we believe still matter, the reason why we can say that our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. And I know I don't have to tell you how crazy and distracting these last few years have been, how unusual 
people they've been. We've all gotten a little distracted. As a church, we've gotten distracted. We believe, we're praying, it's time to get back to the basics, to get refocused on the mission, what Jesus wants for our lives and for our church family. And so on January 1st this year, for those of you that were willing to come to a church service on Sunday, New Year's Day, we talked about our mission of helping people find their way back to God and what it means for you and me to make that our personal mission and assignment. Week two, we talked about how Jesus wants to grow each of us up, that he wants to do even more in our lives. Parents, you know this. If you've got kids and you've ever looked at the picture of 10 years ago versus today, you've seen the growth. You've seen the change and it just kind of blows you away. Like Jesus wants to, he wants to see this growth in us. He wants to see this change in our lives. I got a freshman in college. I put him on an airplane to Ecuador a couple of weeks ago. Like I, I had this moment where it was like, when did we let him ride his bike around the block? Like, like, like we, we've gone from that to sure, go off to Ecuador and spend a couple of weeks on a different continent. Like Jesus wants to see this growth and this transformation in our lives. Last week, Jerry described a little of what we're doing as a church to help you grow in your faith. And we talked about the importance of getting connected to our church family and not only why that's good for you, by the way, that's good for every single one of us. Today, I'm gonna bring this series to a close as we look at Jesus one more time and we see for ourselves what's important to him, what brings him joy and the part we have to play. And so if you've got your Bibles, I wanna invite you to take them and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke is in the New Testament. Luke provides for us an account of the life and the teachings of Jesus, all right? And in Luke chapter 10, uh, we, we, we realize that Jesus and his disciples have already spent some significant time together. And in Luke chapter nine, just one chapter prior, Jesus sends out the 12, all right? He sends out his 12 disciples on a special assignment. He, he wants to give them some hands-on experience and, and practice sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others. And because Jesus wants the good news to go out to the entire world, he knows that it's gonna take more than the 12. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse one, we read this, that after the Lord, or after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And so this shows us and reveals that there were more than just the 12. While Jesus had a special relationship with 12, there were other disciples. There were other men and women that were joining this Jesus movement. The NIV says 72. You might be reading a translation that says 70. In fact, the, the better translation might be the 70. Scholars think that 70 would also be symbolic of the 70 elders Moses chose to help lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into a new life of freedom. And because Jesus often lived out his life, really, as we see kind of through the Exodus in kind of the same way, the same symbolism, that Jesus wants to lead people in the same way out of slavery and bondage to sin in, into a life of freedom that is only found in him. And so he wants to use people like you and me and the, and the 70 or the 72. It doesn't matter how many there were in Luke chapter 10. But what's fascinating also about these people chosen is that we've got no reason to believe there was anything special about them. Uh, except for, notice that word there in Luke chapter 10, having been appointed by Jesus. And I love that word because it means that Jesus chose them. All right, Jesus had an assignment for them. He's been teaching them. He's been preparing them to go and do what he created them to do. He saved them, saved their lives, and now he's sending them out. Verse two, 
He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so he sends out these 72 and see how Jesus describes their work like a harvest. And um, I grew up in central Illinois. It's a lot like central Indiana, right? Lots of fields, all right? Corn fields, soybean fields. I always enjoyed the harvest season. It was fun watching the combines cut down the corn. When I, when I think about a harvest, all right, I think about potential, right? We think about completion. We think about fulfillment. Uh, translate this over into a world of ministry and for the church, it's kids, it's students, it's you know men and women who don't know Jesus but are ready to meet him. Do you, do you know what a harvest requires. If you've watched the work of a harvest before, if you've been involved in the work of harvest, much like the harvest time here uh, in the fall, a harvest requires workers. It requires laborers. Jesus knows that the world is full of people who need to hear and respond to the gospel, people who have never trusted the Lord. And so according to Jesus, there's a problem. What's the problem? Not enough workers. There, there weren't enough workers yet. 2,000 years ago, there aren't enough workers today. And so Jesus says, we need more. The harvest is ready. Jesus said, the workers are few. People need Jesus, all right? He's ready to change life, but we need more workers, more willing students, men and women. And for those willing, Jesus cries. He's basically saying, hey, as you're doing the work, all right, even for those of us that are willing, going, fulfilling the assignment that Jesus has given us, he says, pray also that other followers of Jesus will understand their assignment and get involved in the kingdom work. And notice Jesus uses words, words like sending them out. Genesis Church, in the same way that if you and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, if you find your hope and your life and your salvation in him, if your life has been saved through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we've been singing this morning, he wants to send you out. It's his desire to send us out. It's a consistent message from Jesus. It's the assignment we read about on the very final pages of the Gospel of John. We study, we read through the book of John in 2022 on the very final pages. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me into this world. He says, I am sending you uh, to be sent. It, it means like these 72 in Luke, it's recognizing why we're here. It's understanding that you, you do have one life to live, that we have so many days and moments, but, but to be sent is it's like living with a mission. It's living with a higher purpose in mind. It's realizing that you, much like these 72, have been given a kingdom assignment. And so just like these individuals in Luke, Jesus realizes, hey, I've given you influence for a reason. I've given you certain gifts. I've put you in this workplace. I've given you this school, these neighbors, this uh, apartment complex. I've placed your church in this location for, location for a very intentional purpose. Like he knows that you and I, that we have access to people. Again, people where you live, people where you work, people where you play. Like you have relationships and connections with people who don't know Jesus. And so just as Jesus is sending these followers out, he wants to send you and me out every single day. There's no time off. There's no vacation time when it comes to serving the Lord in this world. And like the mailman in Harry Winston's story, in the very same way, we've been appointed. We've been assigned. We've given, been given a very precious task and responsibility. And if you're like me at all, I know you might be thinking, I'm not sure I'm cut out for that, right? Um, what, what, what do I have to offer? 
I don't know what to say. I don't know how to have those kinds of, of conversations. You know, maybe you've, maybe you've been a part of, been on the receiving end of some very awkward, difficult conversations that were handled very poorly by people and it's, it's kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. And so what, what does that look like for each of us? I, I just say, the, if, you're, if, if the thought of that makes you nervous, if you want to limit what you might be able to do, like just understand, I, th- I think those are very natural responses and feelings but I just want you to know that that's why we want to get even more intentional about the things that we, we do as a church. Even things like teaching you how to tell your story, to tell the story of what Christ has done and accomplished in your life, to, to better prepare you and me to have spiritual conversations with people that God is putting into our lives each and every day to, to recognize the value of intentional friendship. You know, that, that maybe we spend too much time living in our backyard and we need to spend more time living in our front yard and, and interacting with our neighbors. But let me, let me tell you where it starts. Here, here's where it starts for, for any of us or for all of us. It, it, starts, it starts just by saying yes. Yes, Jesus, I, I get it. I see it. I don't know what it looks like yet. I'm not sure I know how to accomplish it. But I get it. I'm in. I want to be a part of your kingdom work. I realize that you have an assignment even for me. Like it begins when we embrace, when we embrace the reality that you and I, whether we like it or not, we're here to represent Jesus to others. That's what he wants for each of us. So we're here to love as he loves us. We're here to share the, the hope of Jesus with people that God is putting into our lives. And that's a big part of the reason why we're gonna study the book of Acts uh, starting in a couple of weeks. We're gonna talk about it on Sunday mornings here and we're gonna read through it each of the 28 chapters and we're gonna see for ourselves like what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven and he put the Holy Spirit into the lives of his people and how the church came together and formed and how they functioned and how they loved people and how they encountered challenges and overcame those challenges. When you, when you came in today, hopefully you received this handout. We're going to call this series Sent. And again, it'll start with preaching on Sunday, February 5th. Jerry will kick off the series from Acts chapter 1. But there's a reading plan on here as well. And, and I hope you'll read along with us. It's a, it's a great book of the Bible to read. And um, again, while we're not going to start talking about it until Sunday, February the 5th, I'm, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to ask you to start reading it this week. And, uh, and maybe go overboard, right? Read all 28 chapters. It'll take you a couple hours or, or try and get through it over the course of the week or get through it as much as you can. But then we'll break it down into week by week week, one chapter at a time, reading through, studying for ourselves, again, talking about it here on Sundays. We're, we're going to ask our connection groups to follow along with us. I'm excited that our, our student ministry, they're going to be reading and studying along with us. We're, we're here to help people find their way back to God, and, and it's our prayer that every person here will recognize that we have an important role to play. Look at verse three. Go back to Luke chapter 10 again. Again, Jesus is ready to send them out, but he's got some peculiar instructions for them. Look what he says. He says, go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst the wolves. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out amongst the wolves. Wolves, really? Like really wolves? I was, um, we live in Noblesville, and we live near the Potter's Trail, the Potter's Cover Bridge, if you know where that is. So I run it or walk it almost daily. And you kind of get into the woods if you've been there before. I was out running it one morning. It's been a year or so ago. And I came up on a woman who looked a little alarmed. And so she kind of stopped me. And she said, hey, there's a pack of wolves down there. And I tried, I wanted to be really polite. But in my mind, I'm thinking, 
pretty sure they're not wolves. Um, I'm pretty certain we don't have those in Indiana. But wouldn't you know it, when I got up there a little closer, there was actually a pack of coyotes. And then you have some thoughts of like, would, would they eat me? Like, I mean, like, like, are they just, are they more scared of me than I am of them or whatever? But, but again, I, I got the point. What Jesus is saying is this. He says, the world's complicated. It's hard. Uh, I, I think we're all beginning to understand how living for Jesus in this world is getting a little, un- getting a little complicated. Like you, you know how challenging it can be living for Jesus right now in a world that seems to be going in the exact opposite direction. Um, you, you've had spiritual conversations with friends and family and coworkers that didn't go well and were very awkward. Maybe you've stepped out in faith and invited a friend to something like GSM or to a Christmas service and you've gotten the really, really weird look. Some of you have sacrificed promotions, clients, opportunities at work because of your unwillingness to compromise a conviction that is extremely important to you. The fact, the fact is that obeying Jesus will cost you something. It might cost you everything. Martin Luther's words from many years ago are still true today that a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Like our faith is worth everything. Jesus talked about the cost of following him. He's not trying to hide the truth. He knows that the work will be difficult for his disciples. He knows that it's gonna be difficult for us too. And Jesus also knows that it's easy to get distracted that if we're not careful, we might lose sight of the purpose of the mission that he is trusting us to carry to others. So he continues verse four. He says, don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. Now I think a little friendly customer service might help too. So what's Jesus chasing? after here. Well, he continues, verse five, he says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. He continues, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. We're not gonna get into all of the little details of what Jesus is saying here, but here's the overarching point that Jesus is trying to make with these disciples. He's basically saying, the mission is urgent. It's time sensitive. We only have so many days, so many hours, so many years. He knows how easily we get distracted. And so he's raising the stakes on the assignment and he doesn't want his disciples losing focus. And it's just part of the reason why we decided to take first four Sundays in January to just revisit the things that we have talked about over and over again and why we are saying out loud we want to get back to the basics of this work. It's why we're going to study through the book of Acts together. It's a continuation of the message. We're coming back to the mission, the purpose, because I think we all know it's easy to get distracted. And I've had this happen to me too, but again, over the past couple of years, it's, it's been easy to lose focus to lose sight on the things that I think any of us would say, yes, those are the most important things to me, but we get distracted. We get our minds and our focus on other things, our jobs, our hobbies, our leisure, and our travel. And and that's why we're praying that God will use this next year to refocus every single one of us, to get us laser focused on our kingdom assignment that everyone here will come to understand that we all have a critical part to play. And don't get me wrong, like, and I think this is important, important for us to know, and this might relieve some pressure for you. It's not your job to change anybody's heart. Jesus said, I'll take that. 
Jesus is the only one that can change a life. He's just called you and me to be faithful and obedient because again, only he can transform a life. But if we let him, he might just do it through you. And you might get an opportunity to see somebody that you love, that you've been praying for, make the greatest decision that they could ever possibly make in their life. Verse nine, Jesus reminds his followers of the bottom line, that we don't have to overcomplicate this, that this is why we're here. This is the assignment and the message that we've been given. Verse nine, he says, heal the sick who are there and tell them, here's the message, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And that's just a really special, fancy way of saying that this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that this world that is very broken, that there is a way out, there is a solution, there is a remedy, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he gave his life for you, and he offers his love and his grace to anyone who will put their faith and their trust in him. And his gift is not only the reward of knowing that there's another place after death one day, but his gift is into a life that is greater is greater than anything else. And the message that eternal life is available. And it's up to us to announce it. He's saying it's up to us to live it and share it and demonstrate it. I like the way that N.T. Wright describes the kingdom of God and the message and assignment we've been given. He says the decisive victory against the powers of sin and darkness has already been won. The revolution has begun. And it's something that begins in our hearts And it bears fruit as we surrender every single part of our lives to Jesus. And if the thought of all that frightens you, like if the realization that you and I have been entrusted with the message for our friends and for our family and for our coworkers is a little bit overwhelming to think about, again, you're not alone in this because fear is a natural response. I mean, it takes faith, right? It takes a lot of courage to live boldly for Jesus, to serve him, to share his love with others. We're gonna see this demonstrated over and over again in the book of Acts, but here's some more good news that Jesus hasn't just given us this responsibility and hopes we don't mess it up, right? But he has something else very important for us as well that he's given us his power to. And Jerry shared a little bit of this from Acts last week. We'll open up with this passage in just a couple of weeks here in Acts chapter one. But in Acts chapter one, verse eight, before Jesus ascends into heaven, his final words with his disciples and the people that are a part of this movement, well, here's what Jesus said to them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and in your life. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus knows that we need power to accomplish the mission, a mission like this. He knows that we need the Holy Spirit. And the good news is this, that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then you already have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus in you. You have been equipped with all of the tools that Jesus received by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That means that we have been given everything we need to faithfully complete and fulfill our kingdom assignment while we're here on this earth. I'm sure most of you have seen the movie Titanic before. And if you haven't, spoiler alert, the boat sinks. And you've had 25 years to see it. And if you haven't seen it yet, that's your problem. And if you want to see it, it's on you. I just say use your discretion in viewing it. But Jenny and I, uh, we saw this movie when we were dating. We might have been engaged, in fact. She might have been wearing that, that diamond, that small diamond on her finger. But I'm going to go out on a limb here. 
Uh, if you've uh, never heard me share this before, and I know some of you, this is going to cause you to question my man card uh, when I open up and describe to you what I'm about to describe. But when it comes to the movie, I bawled through it. I did. There, there came a point in the movie, and I came unglued and started crying, and I just couldn't turn it off. In fact, it got so bad that Jenny turned to me at one point, and she gave me this look of like, dude, get a grip. It's just a movie, right? <laughs> and this is so true. But let me defend myself, all right? And I'm being very honest when I say this. Like my tears had nothing to do with the love story. My tears had nothing to do with Leonardo DiCaprio. It had nothing to do with the blue diamond or anything like that. But here's what got me. It was the images of the men and the women and the children as the boat started filling up with water. It was the anticipation and the reality of catastrophic death. See, 1,700 of the 2,500 people on the Titanic lost their lives when the boat went down. And one more thing, they say the lifeboats were only half full. You see, I had never really thought much about the reality of this this historical event. And sure, we had talked about it in school and maybe I had read about it in a book. But as far as I was concerned, right, the story was just this. There was this really big boat called the Titanic. It hit an iceberg and it sank to the bottom of the ocean. The movie opened my eyes to the reality that a whole bunch of people died. And they didn't have to. Every one of us is going to die or there's going to be a moment when Jesus will return and everything that we have ever known is going to come to an end. The good news is this, that if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, like you can be confident that you and I, we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven and with other followers. The brutal truth is that for those of us who refuse, those who reject Jesus and the good news, they're going to spend eternity separated from God and from others in hell. And to think that our boats aren't full. In fact, the message of the gospel, the scriptures say that God doesn't want anyone to perish. That he wants everyone to come to repentance. The good news of Jesus Christ is for the whole world. And that's why we're here and why you're here. And why our mission as a church is helping others know the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus sent out the 72 but he recognized a challenge. If you go back one more time, one that still exists today and he calls attention to it in Luke chapter 10, verse two. Look at the words one more time. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, it's ready, but the workers are few. And so pray and ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. And so again, he says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. And so that's part of what we're going to do over the course of this next year is we're going to pray and ask the Lord for more, that he's going to raise up more workers, more kingdom workers through our church. And so we're gonna talk about this all year long. We're gonna see it for ourselves as we read and study the book of Acts together. All right, many of our groups are gonna have these conversations. We're praying that the Lord will do more. It's why even our increase financial generosity as a church is one more way we recognize that the world needs more laborers and workers for the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a bit of an irony in praying this prayer and Jesus, because Jesus tells us to pray for more workers and we should and we will. But the irony is this. The irony is that I'm the answer to my own prayer. 
and you're the answer to this prayer, then when we're praying for more workers, what we're really and should be praying and also asking the Lord is, God, would you do more in and through me? That I want helping people find their way back to God to be my personal mission that I want to see and understand and be confident in the fact that in the same way I've been chosen and appointed by Jesus Christ, that as he sent out the 72, he is sending you and me out every single day, that we all have a part to play, that there are people in your life right now for a reason, and with the help of God, you and I can make an eternal difference in the life of someone else. And so we're also, I'm going to invite you beginning today to pray this prayer with us. I'm going to put it here on the screen for you, but I'll also point out that it's on our Bible reading card as well. Maybe you've seen it for yourself already. It's on the front side, but we're just simply calling it my everyday prayer. And what would it look like for you and me in beginning today to say, you know what, I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray, Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. Thank you for what you've accomplished in my life. I want to do for others what you've done for me. Use me today to help others encounter, know, and trust you. I wonder if you'd be willing to say yes to the Lord today and even be willing to make the commitment. I'm going to pray this prayer each and every day that God would teach me and train me and use me that I may grow in him, but that others may come to know him as well. And so we're gonna pray together, but I'm gonna give you a moment. I'm gonna give you some time to pray, to maybe pray this and to pray, yes, Lord, and to respond to him today. Can we do that today? Would you say yes to Jesus and let him use you? That's our prayer today, Lord. We say thank you for saving us. What gift could be greater? And Father, I, we want you to do for others what you've done for us. Would you use us, Lord? Would you use our church family to help others know you? to know the power of your love and grace. We are here for you. Father, have your way in us and through our church family. We need your power and your strength. We are trusting you. We are trusting you for more. Lead us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're gonna close and sing together, but I I, want to point out one last thing to you. Because in that same chapter, in Luke chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles open, um, these 72, they go out, they do the work. There's some account of that. But then they come back and in verse 17, Luke records the 72 returned. And and you'll notice that Luke uses the word with joy. They, They found joy in serving and living for the Lord. And then if you skip over a few more voices, I, I love what we see on the part of Jesus. 
because it helps us see and understand who he is and what's important to him. In verse 21, it says, and at that time, Jesus, full of joy. Jesus came to die for our sins and to give us life, absolutely. But he also came to train us and to prepare us so that we would go out and live faithfully and obediently for him. Let's do that. Let's say yes to him today and let's respond to him now as we sing. Will you stand with us?